0: It was another home run barrage and another late night in Boston for the Orioles offense. But unfortunately, they couldn't come out with a win on Tuesday night. I'll recap the Orioles loss to the Red Sox. Talk about the struggles for Kyle Bradish, and what's going on with the Orioles bullpen. All coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, We're going to recap a tough Orioles loss as they fall 13-9 to the Boston Red Sox on Tuesday night as their postseason chances continue to lessen and lessen here now with just eight games remaining in this season. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that loss. We'll take a deeper dive into a really rough start for Kyle Bradish at Fenway on Tuesday after he dazzled almost throwing a shutout last week against the Astros. It was the complete opposite. On Tuesday night, we'll talk about why. And then we'll take a look at the Orioles' bullpen. Some struggles over the last few days. A lot of roster moves could be coming here on Wednesday. Talk about what reinforcements could help the O's pen get through the final eight games of this season. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Locked on Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Make sure to give us a five-star rating and a review if you can. Monday through Friday, new episodes every single day throughout the season and early in the off season as well. And of course, we're right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. If you like the content you see, let us know. And we thank you again for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. For your first podcast listen today, let's start with Tuesday night in Boston. Final score, Red Sox 13, Orioles 9 in a wild one at Fenway Park as the Red Sox take game two of a four-game set to even things up in the series at one game apiece between the O's and the Sox. With the loss in this one, Baltimore falls to 80-74 and on the season, not quite yet able to avoid officially the losing season. Of course, need just one more win for that and two more wins to clinch a winning season in their final eight games. Around the rest of the wild card race on Tuesday night, things at least initially did not break the Orioles' way. You have the Tampa Bay Rays scoring two in the 11th and holding on for a 6-5 win on the road against the Cleveland Guardians. And of course, with the Orioles' loss, couple there as well. The O's are now five games back of Tampa. They fall the same amount back of Toronto. The Blue Jays did lose to the Yankees 5-2, but of course with the Orioles loss, they remain six and a half back of Toronto, who holds the number one wild card spot. And as I record this right now, the Rangers do lead the Mariners one nothing in the top of the sixth inning. Rangers have a couple of runners on right now. That game is in Seattle. Again, I do not expect Texas to hold on to a one-run lead. If they do, the Orioles would remain three and a half back of Seattle. But if you're listening to this, of course, the game's already over. If Seattle did come back and win, that means the Mariners are four and a half up on the Orioles for that final spot. In the wild card with just eight to play. Remember, the Orioles lost the tiebreaker to Seattle this year. They lost four of six to the Mariners, which means they don't just have to tie. They have to finish a game above the Mariners in the standings to make the playoffs against them. So if you are listening to this now and Seattle did come back and win that game, it's basically impossible with eight games left to make up essentially five games in the standings for the Orioles. But Back to the O's game on Tuesday night, a 13-9 loss to the Red Sox. I'll get to the five things you need to know from that one. And the first thing you need to know is that, once again, Anthony Santander is a home-run machine right now. Another two-homer game for Santander, his second straight two-homer game. He also homered twice on Monday night. But it did continue the Orioles' trend as the O's are now 1-9. and nine. In the games in Santander's career in which he has homered twice. In this one, though, they were two pretty big home runs in this game. The first one was the tail end of a back-to-back with Adley Rutschman that gave the Orioles a 3-2 lead in the top of the third inning. That one was off the Red Sox starter Michael Waka. And Santander just crushed it out to right center field for that home run, 102.9 off the bat, 392 feet. He hit that one from the left side. And then his second homer was a big one as well in this game. It capped off the five run fourth inning for the Orioles that tied the game at eight, hit that one from the right side over. The Green Monster at Fenway Park, 103.2 off the bat, 393 feet. Those were home runs number 32 and 33 for Anthony Santander, who is now tied for second all-time in Orioles single season history with Eddie Murray in home runs by a switch hitter in any Orioles season. Pretty impressive by Anthony Santander. And Santander, of course, he homered from both sides of the plate in this game. That is now four times this season in which Santander has homered from both the right and left side in the same game. That ties the major league record four times in a season. If Santander can do it one more time in these final eight games, I mean, he does have six homers in his last four games, three multi-homer games in his last four. If he does it once more, he will hold the all-time record. Second thing you need to know from this one, sticking on the hitting side, Ramon Rios had a huge game for the Orioles. Came just a double shy of the cycle. He goes three for three with a triple, a home run, and an RBI in this game. His homer started the five-run rally in the fourth inning for the Orioles after their pitching you know, just imploded in the third. They gave up six runs. Boston had an 8-3 to three lead heading into the fourth. The O's rallied right back, and it started with a leadoff solo home run from Arias in the fourth. His 16th home run of the season hit it out to dead center field. 104.6 off the bat, traveled 421 feet for the homer. Again, started that five-run rally where the Orioles tied the game at eight in that fourth inning. But he only got those three at-bats. Arias never got a chance to try and finish off the cycle because after a single in the fifth inning, he was running the bases going from second to third on a grounder and just came up limp. And he's been dealing with so many injuries lately, had some back and neck and shoulder spasms and was dealing with some lower body injuries as well. He's been in and out of the lineup over the past week or so because of those injuries. He felt good enough to be back in there. On Tuesday night, after not playing on Monday, and then something else happened. He pulled up, looked like it was a hamstring going from second to third. He left the game. Jorge Mateo replaced him in the ball game, And it didn't look great for Arias. And when you add in the other injuries he's already been dealing with, you have to think, I mean, we don't have any official word here just after 11 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. But you would have to think that Arias probably goes on the injured list. And if he does... That would end his 2022 season, which has had its ups and downs. Hopefully, he can still play a bit this year, but it does kind of look like he may be done for the season with the Orioles. Third thing you need to know is that Rugnet Odor, who hit one spot behind Arias in this game, got the start at second base, hitting seventh, just continues to be a hilarious baseball player. I mean, we talked about his game on Monday night where he had some big hits and he made a a couple of key points. Bad defensive plays, and then redeem himself with a couple of good defensive plays as well. Same thing. Same thing on Tuesday night. I mean, Odor continues to just scorch the baseball. Is having some great plate appearances. He goes two for three with two singles, an RBI, and a walk. I mean, he reaches base three out of four times in Tuesday night's game. Has two hard-hit balls. I mean, he's seeing the ball so well right now. And then in the field, he just makes two bad errors that really gave Boston their big inning that gave them the win. I mentioned those big innings. Well, after the Orioles scored five in the top of the fourth to tie the game, the Red Sox answered with five runs in the bottom of the fourth to go up 13-8. to eight. And, of course, they would go on to win the game because of that. And Odor made two errors in that fourth inning alone. One of them was with the bases loaded and nobody out. Red Sox already had one run, it, w- it was 9-8. Now it was a tough ball hit up the middle, and Odor ranges to his right to get it. And at the very least, you thought he would at least get one out with a force out. And the ball was hit hard enough where if he fields it cleanly, he can flip it to short. And they potentially have a double play that, while it would have scored another run, would have helped the O's get out of that inning at just 10-8 to and would have changed this game. Odor boots the grounder. They don't get any outs Things spiral. Then later in the inning, he has a chance to turn a double play that would have ended the inning. Spikes the throw over to first base. Mountcastle can't pick it. Another run scores. The O's really could have been out of that inning at 10-8. Instead, it was 13-8, and it made it just too tough for them to come back. But the roller coaster of Rugnet Odor continues, and it was on full display again on Tuesday night. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Kyle Bradish just did not have it in this game. After throwing eight and two-thirds scoreless innings in his last start against Houston on Thursday night, he goes just two and a third, allowing seven runs on four hits, three strikeouts, four walks, and a homer. Took him 85 pitches just to record seven outs in this game. He had absolutely nothing, no command, stuff wasn't as crisp. We will get to that in a lot more detail in just a bit, but not good stuff. From Kyle Bradish tonight. And the fifth and final thing you need to know is that because Bradish only got seven outs in this game, the Orioles bullpen was charged with a lot of work. And it was quite the roller coaster day for the Orioles bullpen. Joey Crable came in for Bradish with the bases loaded, got knocked around. He was terrible. Jake Reed then came in in the fourth inning. He did not record an out, he was equally as terrible for the Orioles. Then they went to D.L. Hall, who was frankly awesome in this game, and I think had his best big league appearance. Two innings, scoreless, two hits, three strikeouts, and no walks on 34 pitches. Hall just came in pounding the strike zone in this one, and it was very impressive. And then you got scoreless innings from Brian Baker, C.N.L. Perez, and Dylan Tate down the stretch that kept the Red Sox at 13 runs. Gave the O's offense some chances to get back in it. They did load the bases, bring the tying run to the plate in the ninth. Of course, did score a run in the eighth as well, but just couldn't come all the way back. But it was a terrible start for the O's pen, but Hall, Baker, Perez, and Tate combined for four scoreless innings. So at least there's that for the Orioles' bullpen. And I was specifically really, really impressed by D.L. Hall. I mean, came in in a situation with the bases loaded and no outs. And just went right to the strike zone immediately. Did not even get close to walking anybody. He threw a lot of fastballs. You know, I was 96-97. The changeup looked great. The eight changeups he threw. He got a couple of whiffs on that pitch. Good stuff from Hall, but it was too late. The O's had already given up 13 runs by the time he was uh, settled in in the ball game. And again, one of those big reasons was Kyle Bradish just did not have it in this one. And coming up next, we're going to break down Bradish's start further. And, Try to figure out how he goes from flirting with a perfect game against the Astros last week to barely getting anyone out against the Red Sox this week. And we'll try to figure out what the heck happened there coming up next. But first, let's talk about Blue Chew. Because summer's winding down, the nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. That's right, this episode is sponsored by... By Blue Chew. Guys, we all know that confidence can take you far in life. That's especially true in the bedroom, especially when it's time to step up to the plate. And that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. So you can take them anywhere, day or night. You can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process, it's simple. You sign up at bluechew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part, it's all done online. So there's no visit to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in the line at the pharmacy. So if you could benefit from some extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. You can try BlueChew free when you use our promo code LockedOn. At checkout, just pay five dollars in shipping. That's bluechew.com. Promo code locked on to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. So the Orioles gave up thirteen runs on Tuesday night. Usually, not a recipe to win a ball game, and it certainly was not in this one. And a lot of those runs charged to Kyle Bradish, who had one of his worst starts of the season. Really, his only other start that was worse was also in Boston back on May 27th when he got hit around early and the O's made an incredible comeback to win. But Bradish in this game, two and a third innings, seven runs on four hits, four walks, three strikeouts, a home run. He threw 85 pitches. Now, he did only allow five hard hit balls, but it's because the ball wasn't in play too much because... Everything was outside the strike zone for Kyle Bradish. And it's just kind of wild to compare it to what he did in literally his last start, Thursday night at home against the Astros, a lineup that is pretty equal to Boston's, and I think many would argue is better than the Red Sox lineup. And Bradish just carved him up. He was perfect through five and two thirds. He goes eight and two-thirds scoreless, two hits, 10 Ks, no walks, 100 pitches on the dot. You know, came one batter away from throwing a shutout, just four hard-hit balls. I mean, everything worked for him in that start against Houston. And nothing worked for him on Tuesday night against Boston. I mean, against the Red Sox, he threw 85 pitches. Just 44 of them went for strikes. That was his lowest strike percentage of the year. On the flip side, in 100 pitches last Thursday against Houston, 70 of them went for strikes. I mean, he had a lot of first pitch strikes against Houston, had less than 50% first pitch strikes against the Red Sox. That is always going to be an issue. And when you look at the pitch breakdown for Kyle Bradish, it was just a different attack plan. But, you know, many would say, you know, you look at what he did against the Astros and it was extreme breaking balls against Houston. If you remember, he threw 100 pitches, 39 sliders, 24 curveballs, and then 18 four-seamers, 16 sinkers, and three changeups. So he threw more breaking balls than fastballs, way more. I mean, his four-seam fastball was his third most used pitch. You don't see that a whole lot from Major League pitchers, but he was just tossing the slider and the curveball. He was dropping them in for strikes. He was getting them to chase. I mean, they were both just on point all day last Thursday against Houston. And then you look at what he did in this start in 85 pitches, and it was a majority four-seam fastballs. 27 four-seamers, 22 sliders, 20 curveballs, 12 sinkers, and four change-ups got Braddish to his very unsuccessful 85 pitches on Tuesday night. And you're wondering, well, why is he throwing more fastballs? You know, I've talked about on this podcast a lot, Kyle Braddish is better when he's throwing more breaking balls. But it's kind of twofold. There's two sides to this issue because, yes, he's been better the more sliders and curveballs he's thrown this year. It's a pretty close correlation for Kyle Bradish, But the issue is, in the games he's thrown more fastballs, he has tried to throw more sliders and more curveballs. But he's found out early in those games that he doesn't have the command of those pitches. I mean, he threw 22 sliders, only two went for called strikes, 20 curveballs, only two went for called strikes. Now, he did get four of his five total whiffs combined on those two pitches, but you got to do better than five whiffs, especially if you have the stuff that Kyle Bradish has. And his four-seamer, we've talked about this, is just not a good pitch. It's been hit hard all year. It continues to be hit hard. He didn't get a whiff on that pitch. I mean, it's a a 93 to 95 mile per hour four-seam fastball. It has a little bit of natural cut to it as well. But the reason why Braddish added the sinker, which he threw 12 times on Tuesday and has thrown more and more throughout the season, is because his four-seamers have been so bad. And the sinker has helped to alleviate that. You know, he's kind of thrown at times, maybe among fastballs, eh, you know, two-thirds four-seamers and a third sinkers just to mix it up. But that's all good when he's throwing his slider and his curveball for a strike. But when he can't get them over the plate, like was the exact issue for Bradish on Tuesday night, he has to rely on that fastball. Because generally, even though the fastball isn't effective, he can generally get that four-seamer into the strike zone when he needs a strike. So when you're breaking pitches aren't finding the zone. He has to go to his worst pitch, the four seam or more, to stay in counts and avoid walks. And he still walked four guys and still hit a guy. And it was still a disastrous start for Bradish. But it's it's very telling what will happen when he struggles and what will happen when he pitches well. And so it's nice to know that moving forward. But when you go from elite command one start to zero command the next, it is a little concerning. And again, I still think Kyle Bradish is going to be a great pitcher down the line for the Orioles. I have high expectations for him. And I think he's closer to what we saw against Houston than what we saw against Boston. But when he doesn't have the command of those breaking pitches, it really all goes away. And it can get ugly for him. And that's something he's going to have to work on this offseason. But if you're wondering, how does he go from what he did against the Astros to what he did against the Red Sox? Well, that's how. As soon as he realizes in the second inning he doesn't have curveball or slider command, It's almost kind of over for Braddish at this point. That's something he's going to need to fix in the offseason, whether he throws more change-ups when that happens or he relies more on the sinker. Either way, that's something he will certainly work on in the winter. And listen, he's going to get one more chance to throw this year. He would be scheduled at this point to start the Sunday game in New York against the Yankees, which would be scheduled for his final start of 2022. So he'll get one more chance to right the ship here, and hopefully he can kind of get back to a positive ending to what's been, I think, a really positive season for Kyle Bradish, but listen, it was not a positive night at Fenway for Bradish on Tuesday, and because of that, the Orioles really had to dig deep into the bullpen. I mean, they used every reliever that was available on Tuesday night. I mean, the two guys who weren't available were Spencer Watkins and Logan Gallasby, who threw a lot of pitches on Monday, and they used every available reliever except for Felix Bautista in Tuesday's game. So the guys are tired, and the guys have struggled, which means leads me to believe. We might see more than a few roster moves made by the Orioles on Wednesday. So, coming up next to finish out today's episode, we'll take a look at what those moves could be for the O's on Wednesday to kind of replenish their bullpen here for the final eight days and talk about just what has happened to this bullpen over the past week that has certainly hurt the Orioles. So the O's gave up 13 runs on Tuesday night, and most of those given up early in the game. I mean, they finished this one off with four consecutive scoreless innings thrown by D.L. Hall, who threw two scoreless, and then Brian Baker and C.N.L. Perez and Dylan Tate actually combined for five scoreless out of the pen in total. So pretty good stuff from those guys, but they all had to pitch. The only available reliever who did not pitch on Tuesday night was Felix Bautista. And the O's are going to need to make some roster moves. And I was actually a little surprised the O's didn't make any roster moves before Tuesday's game. You know, they threw Spencer Watkins for 82 pitches in relief on Monday after Jordan Lyles went two shaky innings. There was a 90-minute rain delay, and he had to come out of the game. And then Logan Gillespie finished off the game after he was added to the roster Monday with 29 pitches. So I figured Gillespie would probably be optioned before Tuesday's game. And then Bo Salser, who can give you length and is already in Boston on the taxi squad at the moment, I figured he would just be added to the roster. And with Spencer Watkins down, Salser would be your long man for Tuesday's game. And had he been active, which the Orioles have been a, done a really good job of making sure guys like that are, are active you know, when they need them, he probably would have pitched multiple innings in Tuesday's game and and saved the back end of the bullpen a little bit more in the loss to the Red Sox. But he was not activated. Now, I'm 99.9% certain we're going to see Salser, who again is in Boston on the taxi squad, activated back to the roster on Wednesday. Because the O's are going to need some fresh arms to get through these final eight games in eight days of this 2022 season. I mentioned Gillespie 29 pitches and Watkins 82 pitches on Monday. Theoretically, both of them could be optioned. Even though neither of them pitched Tuesday, Watkins obviously still won't be available. And you could argue even Gillespie still won't be available for Wednesday's game. So I think either of those guys could be optioned. And you're looking at even more moves that could potentially be made out of this bullpen. I mean, you're looking at Jake Reed, who threw 22 pitches and did not record an out on Tuesday. Now, I still kind of like Jake Reed. And he's gotten some key outs for the O's at times. But, I mean, you go no parts of an inning, two runs, or four runs, two earned and two hits, and he hits two batters. Y- you can't be doing that. And the O's still had a chance to win this game. I mean, when Jake Reed entered, it was 8-8 eight eight in the bottom of the fourth, and he just imploded, and the Red Sox got their five-run inning that ended up being the winning inning in this game. He could certainly be DF8. I mean, he's been an okay piece, but... I don't even know if he'll survive the 40-man roster crunch this offseason. So the O's could certainly DFA him. Joey Crable's another guy who could be in trouble. Now, I believe Crable has options, so the Orioles don't have to just immediately DFA him. They could just option him to AAA Norfolk for the rest of the year because he has definitely struggled lately. And we saw it over the weekend, and we saw it continue on Tuesday night. He gets two outs, allowing two runs on two hits, two walks, and no strikeouts for Crable, who's seen his ERA balloon up to 3.9 with these rough outings, so you potentially have four relievers who you could easily make a case could be off the roster tomorrow. Now, I don't think the O's are going to make all four of those moves because, quite frankly, they don't have four guys they're kind of willing and able to bring up right now that are on the 40-man roster that are going to make things better for the O's right now, but any combination of those four guys could go down, and again, I think it's pretty much certain that Bo Saucer will be added to the roster. Now, maybe the O's think they will need Spencer Watkins as a starter at some point for the rest of the year. That could be why Watkins is still on the active roster. And again, if he gets optioned, he can't come back up for the rest of the season unless there's an injury. So I could see that. But I would think Gillespie's going down and Bo Salser's coming up to give some length out of the bullpen for Wednesday. But beyond that, I mean, you have Nick Vespi down at AAA. He hasn't pitched in a couple days now, and he was last optioned on September 6th, which, I mean, it's been over 15 days, so Vespi can come back up. The only thing for Vespi is the Orioles cannot option him again. He has reached his limit of five options on the season with the new rules. So for Vespi. If he does come up, he would have to stay on the active roster for the remainder of the season. He'd have to be with the O's for the final eight games of the year. I don't think that's a bad thing. He's been in, you know, an okay piece and an even better piece than that at times out of the Orioles bullpen. So I think that could be an easy call. Maybe Bruce Zimmerman could help the O's, if not Wednesday, maybe Thursday. I mean, he started the game for Norfolk on Saturday. So that gives him Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, three days off. Maybe you bring him up and he's like your emergency long man on Wednesday, and then he's ready to go by Thursday if you need him. That's certainly a possibility for Zimmerman. And then you got three other active guys on the 40-man who are in AAA who he could use. You have Lewis Head, who definitely struggled with the O's earlier this season. You have Yannier Cano, who has pitched a lot lately in triple a he would be able to come back up soon and then you have anthony castro a right hander who the o's claimed off waivers a couple weeks ago Who actually has not been to the bigs with the o's yet uh, but certainly would be an option as well and i think any of those guys could come up and help this bullpen right now because they went through this weird stretch where they had the three straight you know almost complete games you had the complete game from lyles eight and two-thirds from bradish complete game from kramer And the bullpen just got all those days off. And then when they got back into the game on Saturday, everybody just kind of looked bad and looked like the rest was bad for them against the Astros. And that continued to a little lesser extent, but still didn't go great on Sunday. And then, you know, the bullpen didn't really have to be used because they just used two guys Monday. And then they go to them here on Tuesday. And I will say again, Hall, Baker, Perez, Tate looked good, but Crable and Reed were a disaster And that made things worse for the Orioles. And because they were a disaster and they combined only got two outs, you had to use Hall for two innings. And you had to use Baker, Perez, and Tate in a game where you were down four or five runs and you had to use your high leverage guys late in the game because you didn't have anybody else to go to. So that's going to tax the bullpen even more, even though it's at least positive that they all did throw scoreless innings. So moving forward, the O's are going to need those reinforcements to get through these final eight games It's just been tough to watch for a bullpen that has been really the reason the O's have been in this playoff chase. But they're starting to break down a little bit, and I get it. You know, it's mostly rookies. Basically, none of these guys have ever pitched a full big league season out of the bullpen. I mean, Dylan Tate's really the only guy in that pen who's ever really done that. You know, been up for the majority of a full season in a big league pen. So it's all new for these guys, especially here in this last week or two. They've never pitched this long in professional baseball or any level of baseball. So it can make it tough, and they're just starting to to break down and, and get tired a little bit here at the end of the year. Now, speaking of roster moves, there is another one the Orioles could make. As I mentioned before, Ramon Arias could be going on the injury list. If he does, I think it's most likely Tyler Nevin probably returns to the O's just to have another infielder for the last week. If it's not Nevin, it could be a third catcher. Cam Gallagher, who they claimed off waivers from the Royals, is already in Boston. He's on the taxi squad, so it would be easier to add Gallagher if they wanted to have a third catcher. Maybe he could start a game instead of Robinson Chirinos, maybe for the uh, day game in Boston on Thursday, certainly something we could see as well. But back to the bullpen, the O's definitely going to need some reinforcements because guys are tired, they need a long guy, and just because things uh, haven't been going as well lately for the Orioles. and. They got to get some more outs because, listen, I mean, Braddish was terrible. But if the O's got some more outs from those first couple guys out of the bullpen, Crable and Reed, they still had a really good chance to win that ball game on Tuesday night. And just those guys didn't get it done. And the O's weren't able to come back in this one. But the O's, of course, right back at it. On Wednesday night. I'm right back at it here on the podcast on Thursday. We'll be back with you then recapping game three of this four game set between Boston and Baltimore. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one. We'll continue to break down everything that happens as we begin the chase and the final week of the regular season. Hopefully the O's can stay in this playoff race. But Again, I'll be back with you on the pod tomorrow. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.